Well, it's so good to see you this morning, to see you in person, to look you in the eyes. And uh, looking forward this morning uh, as preach God's word to uh, not just be looking into a camera, uh, but to be looking into your eyes and to see you here and uh, praise God that we're able to meet together uh, this morning. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of scripture and turn to Psalm 89, Psalm 89. And uh, we have been in a series in the book of Esther and concluded that series. And now we are going to start a three-week series in the Psalms, okay? And so this morning we will be in Psalm 89. As you're turning there, I also want to uh, welcome everyone that's on live stream as well. And uh, so glad that folks are joining us on live stream. And I want to say to those on live stream uh, that we are looking forward to you being here in person soon and uh, hope that that's, uh, that's very soon. Well, we are going to look at Psalm 89 uh, this morning, and one of the things that's interesting about Psalm 89 is that the word faithfulness appears eight times in this psalm. And so I've entitled our message this morning, The Faithfulness of God, The Faithfulness of God. As we think about the faithfulness of God, it's really difficult for us to get our minds completely around and our hearts completely around the faithfulness of God because we are so used to unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is so common in our everyday experience and in our society. Whether it's a business deal where someone lies or deceives in order to get the upper hand and to take something from someone else. Or whether it's a marriage in which one partner Uh, pursues emotional or physical intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage, or whether it's a church that begins to slowly drift from the truth and compromises God's word for the acceptance of the culture and larger society, or whether it's politicians who make promises again and again and again and yet never seem to really follow through. Or whether it's experts who miss the mark. And sometimes they miss the mark because everyone makes mistakes. But sometimes they miss the mark because they're more interested in promoting their own agenda and ideas than communicating the truth. And so in our society at large, we see that there's this this crisis of trust. There's this sense of of who can I trust? Who can I believe? Is, Is there any authority that I can really bank on. And in Psalm 89, the psalmist assures us this morning that God is faithful. That when those who are most dear to us, even those who are are considered to be pillars in our society, when they fail us, God will not. God has always been and He will always remain faithful. And therefore, we can trust Him. So I want us to look at our psalm this morning in four parts. First of all, we'll consider an introduction to God's faithfulness. Secondly, God's faithfulness on display. Third, God's faithfulness to David. And then fourth, God's faithfulness questioned. If you're taking notes, I'll repeat those again as we go through the sermon. But we're going to start this morning with an introduction to God's faithfulness in verses 1 through 4. Now, Psalm 89 is a lengthy psalm. It's actually 52 verses in total. But here in this opening stanza, the psalmist reveals the theme of the entire psalm. 
He reveals the theme of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, which are very closely related to one another. So look there in verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. So Psalm 89 is a declaration, really a celebration of the faithfulness of God. And then we see moving from verses 1 to 2 into verses 3 to 4 that Psalm 89 is specifically a celebration of God's faithfulness to David and to the covenant that God made with David. Okay? So look there in verses 3 and 4. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Now, who is David and and what is this covenant that God made with David? Well, David was a man that lived about a thousand years before Jesus. And the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And God chose David to be the king of Israel. And when David was king of Israel, and really his son Solomon as well, uh, their reign marked the height of spiritual, moral, economic, and political prosperity and success. And so as David is ruling over Israel, out of David's great love and affection that he has for God, David determines that he wants to build a house for God. When we say house, what he's referring to there, what David's referring to is, to is a temple. Okay, And so in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we get this. And, and there's actually in 2 Samuel chapter 7 a, a word play on the word house. So David says to the Lord, I want to build you a house. And he's referring to a temple for God. And God responds to David by saying, David, you will not build me a house. You will not build me a temple, but I will build you a house. And what he means by house there is a royal dynasty. Kind of like we, we might say today, the, the house of Windsor. What, 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 da- what God is promising to David is, I will build you a house. I will build you a royal dynasty, a Davidic dynasty. And this is the promise that God makes to David. And one of your sons, one of the sons of your house, will reign on your throne forever. This is the promise that God makes to David. And so Psalm 89 is a celebration of, of God's faithfulness in general. We'll see that as we walk through the psalm. But it is specifically a celebration of God's promise to David and the covenant that he made with David. Now that leads us to our second point. So we've seen an introduction to faithfulness. Our second point is God's faithfulness on display. We see this in verses 5 through 18 of the psalm. And in these verses, what we see is that the psalmist will point us to a number of different areas or spheres of life in which we see God's faithfulness on display. In verses 5 through 8, the psalmist says that God's faithfulness is on display in the heavens. So look there in verses 5 through 8. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. 
So here the psalmist is celebrating the fact that that God is feared, that God is to be worshipped and exalted above all the angelic beings in the heavenly places. And he is to be praised for his faithfulness. In fact, the psalmist says that God's faithfulness so encompasses God's being and his character that the psalmist portrays God as being surrounded by his faithfulness. In verse 80, he says, your faithfulness is all around you. And so we see that God's faithfulness is on display in the heavens. But then the psalmist goes on to say that God's faithfulness is on display in creation and in redemption. We see this in verses 9 through 13. Look there at verse 9. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. So here, as, as the psalmist is pointing us to creation to see God's faithfulness, he particularly points us to the sea. And you know, the, the sea is a scary place. The sea is vast and it's unpredictable and it refuses to be tamed or controlled. But the psalmist says here in verse 9, You, Lord, rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. And then in the next verse, in verse 10, the psalmist goes on to say, You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Now in the Bible, Rahab is actually another name for Egypt. And so here what the psalmist is doing is he's making a reference to the Exodus. Now this is appropriate because the psalmist has just declared God's power over the waters, over the sea. And you'll remember that it was in the Exodus that God parted the Red Sea and the people of God were able to go through on dry ground. But then when the Egyptians tried to follow God's people, God released the seas and they were covered in the waters of God's judgment. And so here the psalmist is pointing us to the reality that God is faithful over his creation and he's faithful over his creation in such a way that he exercises his power over creation to bring about the redemption of his people. He did so in the Exodus. The psalmist then goes on in verses 14 to 18 to speak of God's faithfulness on display in His rule and reign over His people. Look there in verses 14 to 18, we read these words. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Now notice there in verse 14, the psalmist says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now listen, my friends, especially right now in our society where there's so much upheaval and unrest, it is important for us to be reminded that the foundation of the throne of our God is a foundation of righteousness and justice. What is righteousness? Righteousness is to do what is right 
to do what is right according to God's character and according to God's word. And what is justice? Justice means that we treat people with equity. I think one helpful way to think about justice is to think about the fact that others are to be given what they are due. Others are to be given what they are due, whether that means punishment or protection or provision. And so in our society now, we so desperately need a biblical application of justice that is both wise and courageous. That means, for example, with a criminal, a criminal should receive what is their due, punishment. An unborn child or a mistreated minority should receive what they are due, protection. An orphan or a widow should receive what they are due, provision. This is how the Scriptures guide us and direct us in applying God's Word and His principles and His truth in a way that is equitable. As Stephen led us in prayer this morning, as we think about even the circumstances that have taken place in our nation recently, we should unapologetically speak against the unjust killing of a black man by a police officer. And at the same time, we should denounce a mob that indiscriminately attacks police officers and destroys businesses of innocent property owners. We should be a people of righteousness and justice. For our God's throne is built on the principles of righteousness and justice. In all these ways, the psalmist says that God's faithfulness is on display. It's on display in the heavens and in creation and in redemption and in God's rule and reign over His people. But then third, notice this. God's faithfulness to David. God's faithfulness to David. This is found in verses 19 to 37. Now, this is the longest of the four sections in the psalm, but I'm going to read, for, read it for us now in its entirety because it's so important to understanding this psalm. Look there in verse 19 and follow along with me. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted." I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules... If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn to my holiness, I will not lie to David. 
His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. So here you see how the psalm has transitioned now from a focus on God's faithfulness in general to a focus on God's faithfulness to David specifically. And in many ways, what we have here is is a, a meditation on God's covenant with David. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made this covenant with David. And in many ways, what we have here is the psalmist is meditating on that covenant. And this is, this is like his exposition of God's covenant with David. And you notice as, as the psalmist here reflects on this covenant, you notice that David enjoys a unique relationship with God. So in verse 19, David is referred to as God's, uh, God's godly one. He, he's also spoken of as chosen. In verse 20, he's referred to as God's servant. We're also told there that God has anointed his head with holy oil. Also, we see in verse 26 that David is referred to as God's son as he cries out to God, You are my father. Also, we see in verse 27 that David is exalted. It says there in verse 27, I will make him the firstborn. What does it mean to be the firstborn? It says in the next phrase, the highest of the kings of the earth. So he will be exalted. He will be the highest, the, the, the preeminent one over all the kings of the earth. And then based upon this covenant and based upon this special relationship that God has with David... God promises that he will be faithful to David and he will be faithful to the covenant that he's made with David. Notice there in verse 24, my faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Verse 28, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. Verse 34 and 35, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. In fact, the psalmist goes on in verses 30 to 34 to explain, and he's, he's taking this from the Davidic covenant that God gave to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God actually explains this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The psalmist goes on to say that even if David's sons who come after him, once they come to the throne, if they rebel against God, God will discipline them. But he will not finally annul or revoke the covenant he has made with David. In verse 33, he says, I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. And then there is this one aspect that the psalmist, as he's thinking about the Davidic covenant, as he's meditating on it, as he's reflecting on it, there's one aspect of the Davidic covenant that the psalmist emphasizes most. And it is this reality, that God promised to David that a descendant of David would be on the throne forever. In fact, that word forever is used eight times in Psalm 89. It's a remarkable promise. Notice in verse 29, he says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne is the days of the heavens. Verse 36, his offspring shall endure forever his throne as long as the sun before me. Verse 37, like the moon, it shall be established forever a faithful witness in the skies. 
Now listen, in, in this life, there are no symbols that represent permanency more than the heavens and the sun and the moon. And so the idea that the psalmist is, is getting at here is that the, the throne of David, it's not going anywhere. God has promised to establish the throne of David forever. Now you might be wondering at this moment, why is the psalmist so fascinated with David? I mean... All this sounds great for David, but what does this have to do with the psalmist? But here we have to understand how God relates to his people, and in particular, how God related to his people in the Old Testament. David was God's anointed one. He was the one that God chose to be king over Israel. And so in that way, David represents the people of God before God. And so as God relates to his people, the way he relates to his people is that if he wants to bless his people, then generally speaking, the way he's going to bless his people is he will bless David, and through David the people will be blessed. You see, the, the identity and destiny of the people is entirely, inextricably linked to the identity and the destiny of David. If David is blessed the people will be blessed. If David experiences the salvation and redemption of the Lord, the people will experience the salvation and redemption of the Lord. God will relate to his people through his anointed one, David. And so for the psalmist and the people of God, they are banking everything on God's faithfulness to his promise to David. That leads us to the fourth point. God's faithfulness questioned. God's faithfulness questioned. Now, everything thus far in the psalm, it's been very positive, right? But in verse 38, there's a dramatic shift that takes place in the psalm. You notice there in verse 38, it begins with these words, but now. And here the psalmist, he knows all these things about God's faithfulness but he's living in his present experience and reality. And he says in verse 38, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Now what would cause the psalmist to come to this conclusion? Why is there... Why is there this dramatic shift in the psalm? Well, I believe what the psalmist is responding to here in these verses is the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So if you remember, David lived about a thousand years before Jesus, so about a thousand B.C. You have you know, about 500, 600 years, and David has a son who's on the throne in Jerusalem all those years. Come to 586 BC, and Babylon, who was a major world power at that time, conquers Jerusalem. And when they conquer Jerusalem, they destroy the walls around the city, they raise the temple to the ground, and they remove the Davidic, eventually, they remove the Davidic king from the throne. The Jews, many of them in Jerusalem, are exiled, they're taken to Babylon, so they are separated from their home. 
Notice how verses 40, the next verses, verses 40 to 45, fit a description of the fall of Jerusalem. Look at verse 40. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. You have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. And so you see here the fall of Jerusalem, the the removal of the Davidic king, the exile of the Jews to Babylon. All of these events seem to contradict God's forever promise to David. And so the psalmist here, he finds himself perplexed. He finds himself conflicted. Is God faithful? Can we trust God? Will he be faithful to his promises? And so look there in verses 49 to 51. The psalmist goes on to say, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And so now, instead of the anointed one of God, the seed of David, being exalted and being the firstborn and being reverenced and honored among all the nations, now he's mocked. And as a result... Notice how it affects the people of God. The people of God are mocked and insulted and in despair. And so the psalmist here is having a a crisis of faith. The psalmist is wondering, can God be trusted? Will God be faithful to His promises? Perhaps you've wondered that before in your own life. Perhaps given the experience of your life right now, you're wondering that, even in this moment. Perhaps as you watch events unfold on social media and on the news and so forth, you wonder that. We do do well as the people of God to remember that what the Jews experienced here in the collapse of Jerusalem was far more catastrophic and destructive than anything we have experienced in these days. And the Bible here in Psalm 89 is acknowledging that there will be times in our lives where based on our present experience or the events that are taking place around us, it will seem like God may not come through. God may not be faithful. God may not fulfill His word. But notice, this is not the last word of the psalm. In Psalm 89, the the psalmist genuinely wrestles with the faithfulness of God and, and he questions, will God be faithful? And in Psalm 89, this is important to note, the psalmist never figures it out. He doesn't, like in the rest of the psalm, he doesn't wrap it all up and say, well, no, this is how all the pieces are going to come together. He never does that. 
In fact, things are kind of left undone. There's this question that kind of lingers. Will God be faithful? Will God fulfill his promises? The psalmist can't see it all. He can't put it all together. But even in the midst of his present circumstances, in the midst of events around him that that seem to indicate that God will not be faithful, the psalmist chooses to worship and to trust God's faithfulness. The psalm ends in verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. That is a statement of faith. The psalmist, when everything around him seems to indicate that God will not be faithful to his promise, he will not fulfill his word, the psalmist chooses to worship and to trust the faithfulness of God. Well, was the psalmist a fool? Was he a fool to trust God's promise? He was not. Because we know that even though the Jews went into exile and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, that after the Jews were in exile in Babylon for 70 years, the Jews were permitted to return to Jerusalem. And when they returned to Jerusalem, they built the walls of the city And they rebuilt the temple, but still a Davidic king was not on the throne. And so although they were back in Jerusalem, this question still lingered. Will God be faithful to his promises? Will God be faithful to David? And approximately after they come back to Jerusalem and they they land there and they begin to reestablish their presence in Jerusalem, approximately 400 more years will pass. And this question still lingers. It's still out there. Will God be faithful to his promises? Will God fulfill the word that he spoke to David? And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 31 and 32, the angel of Gabriel appears to the Virgin Mary. And Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph who is the son of David. And the angel Gabriel says this, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. Here it is. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is David's greater son in whom all the promises are realized. And you know, it's remarkable because even in Jesus' death, the promise is being fulfilled. So, so, so there, there are some who begin to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the, the, the son of David, and he is the Messiah, and he, he will take the throne. But then Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. Oh, it looks like the promise has failed again. How can he reign on the throne forever if he dies like a criminal on a cross? Even in his death, though, the promise is being fulfilled because Pilate unwittingly insists that a placard be placed over Jesus' cross. And you know what that placard says? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Even as Jesus breathes his last and he dies on the cross for our sins in our place, Jesus then, by God's power, 
is raised from the dead. By his resurrection power, he then ascends to his father where he sits at the right hand of his father, ensuring that the throne of David will never be vacated again. He will rule and reign forever. Oh, my friends, if God has been faithful to fulfill this most essential promise, our salvation and redemption through the promise that he made to David, then we can be, we can be sure that he will be faithful to fulfill all his promises. And we can trust him. Like the psalmist here, even, even when circumstances around us seem to indicate otherwise, even when, when personal experiences and events seem to indicate that God might not fulfill His Word, we can, with the psalmist, worship and trust Him. Trust His faithfulness. We can, with the psalmist, declare, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You and praise You for Your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we are struck by how You have so clearly demonstrated that faithfulness in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that You have been faithful to Your promise to David. And we thank You, Lord, that by being united to Jesus we can experience your blessing and salvation and redemption through faith in him. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not trusted your promise in Jesus, that they would do so. That even now they would turn from their sins and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all of those here this morning, for all of us who are trusting in your promise. Lord, help us to understand that you are faithful. You are always faithful. And whatever we might be experiencing this morning, may we look to you in faith. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray.